Two years ago, we took a significant step together as a church. It's hard to believe that it's been two years since we launched our Putting Down Roots initiative. For those of you who are new to us, Putting Down Roots is a three-year initiative calling us to give generously and to commit to a process that would ultimately position us well for present ministry and future growth. At the heart of this effort, at the heart of this initiative has been a priority towards moving into a permanent facility of our own from which we can continue to grow and expand our capacity for ministry. And just last week, our trustees signed a building contract that gets us one step closer to seeing that become a reality. Lord willing, we will begin to see, even as early as June sometime, dirt begin to move and things to begin to continue or continue to move forward. We're excited about that. During this campaign, putting down roots, we've asked for 100% involvement from our members to invest in this moment above and beyond what you normally give. And brothers and sisters, you've answered that call. Two years ago, during our Commitment Sunday, you committed to giving $1.3 million over three years. And as of today, two years into this, we've received about 71% of that, $920,000 in two years, above and beyond your regular giving. You, we've not asked for outside help, you have given sacrificially and generously almost a million dollars. And we have a year to go. We're encouraged. Tack on a pandemic on top of that, right? You've continued to show yourself invested and faithful. And we're thankful for each and every one of you. Some of you have come to us along the way and have jumped on this moving train even in the recent year or last couple of years or even as recently as the last few months. And we're encouraged by you being with us and joining in putting down roots together uh, with us as a congregation. There's still some steps to be taken, uh, but we're excited about all that's before us, even this coming year. And I just wanna encourage you, don't, don't let up. Now's not the time to say, okay, we've done good enough. No, keep giving. We need you to certainly continue to fulfill those commitments. And if, even if you're able to do so sooner than later, some of you may be in that position, we would encourage you to do that. If not, we realize that many of us are not able to do that and certainly just be able to fulfill your commitment any way that the Lord will provide and lead you. But even more than a building, putting down roots has been a call to us, an exhortation to us to remain faithful to what the Lord has called us to be and do as his disciples, to make disciples, to advance the gospel in this community. This campaign has really been about a call for us to say, we're putting down roots in this community as a church family because we believe we have the greatest news in the world. We're putting down roots in this community because the gospel has taken root in us. And we want to see those roots grow far and wide in order to see other lives transformed by the gospel. Putting down roots is an opportunity for us to invest in this cause together. 
to invest in our present ministry, but also in a way that will set us up well for the future. It's a call to us to engage missionally. We're seeking to expand our capacity for ministry to more effectively pursue the mission that's ours to exalt the Lord, to equip disciples and to engage the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a call for us practically as we think about putting down roots to see a facility of our own as a tool that will house many of our weekly ministries in a permanent location so that we can continue to grow and maximize the impact of our ministries. An expanded space for worship, dedicated space, weekly to serve our families, our children, our adults, opportunities to invest in each other and in this community, serving as a base of operations and a launching point from which we carry out the gospel mandate and the Great Commission. Not to mention the visible statement it will be to this community that this church is here for the long term. So on this two-year anniversary of a three-year initiative, I think it's important for us to, as we look forward, to maybe take a look back. It's important for us to know what kind of roots we're putting down. What is Redeeming Grace Baptist Church? And why is it so important that we should be a permanent, visible place in this community? That's what we want to take a look at today from Acts chapter 2. So if you will, let's look at Acts chapter two and we're gonna be looking at verses 42 through 47 together this morning. Acts chapter two, I wanna begin reading in verse 42. We read, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now that you would give us understanding of it. Help us to hear from you. Father, may you continue to build and grow your church here at Redeeming Grace in a way that reflects what we see in scripture. So Lord, would you speak to us today and change us by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As I said, I think it's important for us to understand our calling as a church, our character as a church, what it is that comprises Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, what kind of roots, we're talking about putting down roots, well, what kind of roots are we putting down? It's important that we understand that. It's important that we, we be reminded that it's these very things that are compelling us forward as we think about the work that God has called us to do. We know that the church is ultimately not a building, we're not building a church. God builds his church. We know that the church is comprised of God's people. And yet we know that building a facility is of great benefit and added value to what we do. And we know that having a tool like this will certainly be a blessing in so many ways. 
As we think through Acts chapter 2 this morning, I want to walk through this text. As we take a look at the early church, I think it's important for us to learn, to understand the early church, to understand what God was doing as he formed these early believers, as he brought them together in community. And I want to walk through this passage today with six observations about the early church in Jerusalem that I think should inform and shape the local church today. Now, there's a lot of differences practically and culturally that obviously we experience, but I think as we look into this, you can look at Acts 2, 42 through 47, and these things ought to be true of every church. This is not just some special church. This is the church. This is what God builds. This is how he's designed us to be. And this should be applicable to any church, no matter where it is found. So as we walk through these six observations that ought to characterize the church, I pray that they would be an encouragement to you and a reminder to us, individually and corporately, of what we're to be about, what kind of roots we're putting down in this community. So let's walk through these six observations together. First of all, we see of the early church and what we're called to be, that it's a community rooted in truth. A community rooted in the truth. You notice it says in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. When you look back to the early church, there was no mistake as to what served as the foundation of who they were in their life together. The early church was, was not a group of religious people that simply brought various religious backgrounds as some kind of buffet of teachings to choose from. They came together through the gospel and now their lives were being built on a specific authority. Doctrine, teaching was essential to their existence. It was foundational to who they were. The apostles' teaching, this teaching that was rooted in biblical revelation, The apostles had been taught by Jesus, and now they had been given authority to pass on this teaching to others, a teaching that was rooted in the Scriptures. This body of truth now comprised of Old and New Testament that's to be passed on to the church. The church is to be built on this authority. So biblical doctrine, biblical truth is the foundation of our existence. It's it's defining, it's informing, it's, it's leading us together as a community. It's interesting, you, you read verse 42, and it says, and they devoted themselves. Well, well, who's they? If you go back up in just the verses previous to that, you see who they are. You read about this work of salvation. Verse 37, it's Peter's sermon at Pentecost. After they heard the sermon, we read, and when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So this 
group of people that devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching were those who were called by God to inherit salvation by repenting of their sins and putting their hope in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. The early church, we're told here, grew in number that day. It went from about 120 to 3,000 there at Pentecost. A people brought from all kinds of backgrounds. And now they were one through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus Christ. And as a community, they were finding their unity was not based upon some kind of demographic. It was based upon the truth of the gospel. It was based upon the truth, the apostles' teaching. And it was that truth that would shape them. You know, oftentimes, we, we take a look at, at certain ministries and churches, and sometimes I think even tempted ourselves. Churches sometimes are tempted to elevate other unifying type things. And so you have ministries and churches that begin to be built upon certain kinds of things outside of doctrinal truth. When we think about the scripture, it was the gospel that brought all of these different kinds of people together. It was the truth through the apostles' teaching, the truth of God's word, biblical truth that was the foundation of the, the unifying thing that brought them together. So no matter their gender, no matter their occupation, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their socioeconomic standing, no matter where they stood politically, they were brought into this community together through the gospel built upon the truth. It's a community that is rooted in truth. Brothers and sisters, that is why we here at Redeeming Grace want to be a church, pray that we continue to be a church built on the truth of God's word. That's why we are committed unapologetically to biblical preaching, expository preaching, letting God's word set the agenda for what we hear and how we live out our lives. We must continue to be a church built upon the truth. I've had several opportunities over the last couple of years. I'll take occasion to go out there on the field where we're eventually going to build and I'll pray. And one of the things that I have prayed for several times over there is that that would be a place, a, a piece of ground in this community from which God's people are fed generations to come, where God's people are fed with the life-sustaining truth of God's word, where that would be a place, a piece of ground from which the gospel would be declared until Jesus comes again. That it would be a place from which the truth is communicated faithfully. Lives are transformed, built up in Christ. Because we are built on the truth. Brothers and sisters, that is what we're called to be, a community that is rooted in the truth. You see that these early believers devoted themselves. It was not an occasional activity. They were devoted. They were committed to the apostles' teaching. Their lives were being built upon the truth. We're called to be a community rooted in the truth. Number two, we're called to, to be a community intentional in fellowship. Luke, as he wrote the book of Acts, says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. This 
idea of fellowship implying close relationships. As Luke illustrates this fellowship, he does in a couple of ways here, and we're going to see that. He also includes the breaking of bread and the prayers. We'll talk more about that in a minute, especially the breaking of bread. Some think that's a reference to the Lord's Supper. Others think it's just simply meeting together, having meals together. But either way, the idea of fellowship is is implied here. It's, It's communicated very clearly, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers, that these are people who shared, first of all, life together. It's the first thing that we see regarding this fellowship. It's a shared life. Notice twice in these verses, we read of the early disciples that they were together. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The church is a community of believers that you belong to and gather with. So what the word church means, it means assembly. It means being together. It means part of our existence as the people of God is that we gather, that we're together. We share life. It's hard to share life if you're not together. Now, certainly during this last year, during all that COVID has brought our way, we've experienced some challenges in how to go about doing that. And thankfully, we've utilized things such as technology. Even some of you watching today are benefiting from this, using things such as technology to help with those who are temporarily in need of staying home, understanding there are people in different circumstances, situations, health risk, and those kinds of things. But at the same time, as much of a benefit as that has been in a temporary fashion, we know that it is not a long-term option because of the Bible's definition of the church. It assumes that we share life together. And so obviously, if you're using our live stream, even as I'm talking this morning, as a temporary thing, until you get vaccinated or until other certain health threats are reduced, certainly that's one thing. But friends, if we see this post-pandemic, so, oh, I'll just, and I'm talking more to you who are here this morning, or maybe even those of you who are watching, you know, I think I'll just catch the live stream today, get an early start to lunch. I'm, I'm not sure that that's what we intend at all when, it, when we understand what the church was meant to be and do. Church is not something you go to, that you watch, It's something that you're part of. It's something that you join together to commit to each other, to build each other up. The church was designed to be together. And when we are together, there are a lot of important things that take place. Looking at the New Testament alone, we find some 40 to 50 commands and responsibilities that we have to one another. Love one another, serve one another, accept one another, strengthen, help, encourage, care, forgive, submit to, commit, build trust, be devoted, be patient, confess, live in harmony with, greet, admonish, spur one another on to love and good deeds, be compassionate, give preference to, comfort, be kind, and on and on we go. These one another's that we experience in fellowship together 
All of these assume that we are living in intentional community and fellowship. We gather to do each other spiritual good, to speak truth into each other's lives, to hold one another accountable, to encourage, to build up, to edify, to equip, to spur one another on. And even this past year, even learning to love one another through even different perspectives of how to approach this pandemic. How do we love our neighbor well? Friends, this is how the church lives, in fellowship. Fellowship is a normal part of our life together. It's not some like extra thing if you get around to it. Like, oh, I think I'll now engage in Christian fellowship. No, it's what you're called to, to encourage each other in this truth that we just talked about in the apostles' teaching. And certainly we do that together in a variety of different ways. Certainly in a corporate gathering like this, but in other small group types of gatherings, we can be that kind of blessing and encouragement to each other in fellowship. But when we think about the corporate gathering, we need a place to do that. I think sometimes we under, undervalue the importance of place. God's church is the people, but the people gathered in a place. And a place is important. We've been blessed for the last 10 years to have this place here at KCA. Super thankful for the generosity of this school to be able to partner with us, to provide us a space. But to no fault of their own, we're limited in what we do on a Lord's Day, right? Sunday is what we have here, but to think of the opportunities and the potential beyond Sundays even, to have a place where we can fellowship, even, even down to the small details of a building plan. We have thought about fellowship, creating how we even designed the building so that there would be intentional spaces in the new building so that conversation and fellowship can be encouraged. Why is that foyer bigger than maybe what it should be or looks to be because of things like that? We've thought, how can we encourage and foster Christian fellowship? How can be brothers and sisters remain and, and not kind of be kind of encouraged to get out of the building because there's not enough room? Because we believe in the value of Christian fellowship. Brothers and sisters, listen, if you come here on a Sunday, pandemic aside, let's pretend we're all here and you come here and you sneak in late and you leave early, you're missing the biblical calling to be the church. That's not Christianity. You're attending an event with that kind of mentality. You're called to be encouraging to one another. You're called to be part of the people of God. People need you and you need them. It's a shared life. It's not a shared space on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half. It's a shared life. But also we see that it's a shared generosity. We're told that in all who believed were together and had all things in common. They had all things in common. Now, this is not some form of primitive communism as some have suggested. This is not an argument for communal living, stock, stocking up on weapons and food with some weird view of the end times. What we see in the Bible is a simple reflection of how the church in Christian fellowship 
cared for its fellow members and how they were prepared to do each other good spiritually and practically. Even sharing and sacrificing to meet specific needs. I love what the great Martin Lloyd-Jones said about this verse. He said, the meaning here is that the believers so loved one another that none of them was allowed to suffer. And if one of them was in a condition of neediness, the others who had a superabundance was prepared to sell some of his possessions and goods to help the needy brother. They felt a responsibility for their brothers and sisters. One of the great things I'm so thankful for about this church, Redeeming Grace, is your generosity. You are a generous people, not just in your commitments to putting down roots, not just seen through the last few years of surpluses, in our giving compared to our budgets, but in the day-to-day meeting of needs. There are things that happen on a regular basis in the life of this church that happen, we could say, behind the scenes that I kind of get a front row seat sometimes to see. And I see your generosity at work. I have people call me and say, hey, the government put this extra money in my account. I don't really need it. Does somebody in the church have a need? I'd love to give it to them. Or, hey, do you know of someone that's been really impacted by this pandemic? Do they need help? Just call me. Be glad to help out. This is pretty normal in the life of this church. We've even been blessed to be able to encourage other congregations as a corporate body together. These are things that we see happen regularly in the life of this church. I'm encouraged by that, I'm thankful for that, and we see that it's being demonstrated here in the early church. Understanding that the resources God has given us are not intended just to be spent on ourselves, but we're called to invest in kingdom purposes, to be a blessing to others. So it's a community that is built in fellowship, intentionally so. So notice that right out of the box you have two things that are that are true of the church. You have gospel centrality, a church, a group of people from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of diversity that are brought together through the gospel, central to who they are, built upon the truth. So you have gospel centrality, but then you have gospel community. These are two things that are evident here in the early church and two things that ought to be evident of us. These are the kinds of roots we're talking about putting down. Number three, it's a community dependent in prayer. There's one thing that was true about these early believers, certainly, many things, but they were a group that prayed a lot. Now the focus here to the breaking of bread and the prayers is a a corporate context. Certainly I assume that many of them were involved in personal praying and private times of devotion to the Lord and prayer and Bible reading and those kinds of things, but here the the focus is corporate. When they gathered at the temple or when they gathered in homes, they prioritized prayer. Now, occasionally, I will get a comment, not usually presented negatively, but almost comment that from people, simply say, you know one thing I've noticed, your prayers and your service are long. Now, they were relatively short this morning, but sometimes I'll get that comment. You know, I notice that you all have long prayers. And I've never one time apologized for that. 
or sought to adjust the prayer. Oh man, I've had three people in the past two months say we pray a lot. Let's kind of reduce our prayer time. Not gonna happen. Yes, we have long prayers. They could be longer. The reality is that we don't have enough extended corporate prayer times. The great Charles Spurgeon in a sermon on prayer was quoted as saying, let us pray is one of the most needful watchwords which I can suggest to Christian men and women. You know, brothers and sisters, we can do a lot of things as a church. We can have a successful capital campaign. We can build a church facility for our ministries to be housed in. We can have a really good discipleship structure, equip classes on Sunday morning, home groups throughout the week. We can cultivate a thriving children's and youth ministry. We can do a lot of things and still be flatlined as a church. The Bible doesn't say the early church flourished because of dynamic programs or a thriving youth ministry or because it had home groups. It doesn't say that. But when the Bible speaks to the church growing and flourishing and thriving, the word of God and prayer were always central. Friends, one of the best ways you can be an active participant in the life of Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, one of the best things you can do for the life, health, and mission of this church is to pray regularly for it and to pray regularly with it. I'm always encouraged when, when I hear maybe of a home group or other ministries say that they've had a hard time getting to long teaching times in home group because they spent half the time praying. Well, praise God. Not to undermine point number one. We know that the word of God is important and central and foundational and priority in the life of our church, but so is prayer. And those things are complementary together. As God speaks to us, we speak back to him in prayer. So friends, we as a church ought to be a community dependent in prayer. These ought to be the kinds of roots we're putting down, a, a, a church, a, a people that prioritize our relationship to God through prayer. Number four, it's a community devoted in worship. A community devoted in worship. We see in verse 43 that all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. A lot of miraculous things happening, accompanying the preaching of the gospel. And this sense of God's holiness, this sense of God's presence overcame them, all came upon every soul. And look at verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their positions, they were generous Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food. Glad and generous hearts, what? Praising God. Praising God and having favor for all the people. Did you catch that? They were a glad people who prioritized the praise of God. These early Christians had a big view of God that flowed from the teaching that led them to worship. You don't end up with praise unless you are informed by truth. 
So it's truth that, that, that pushes forth praise in our hearts. That's why we sing the kinds of songs we sing here. We can't sing every song, but one of the reasons we sing the ones we do is because of the truth in which they embody. Reminding us of who God is, reminding us of the grace he's given us. So one of the things that ought to mark out the lives of Christians here at Redeeming Grace is that we are people who are passionate about the glory of God. And even our corporate gatherings should certainly display this. And granted, this is not a sermon on worship, but we understand that people come with various preferences and expressions in worship. But regardless of your preference and your expression, our aim ought to be the same, that we are glad in the goodness and sovereignty of God so that we come together to praise him. This is something that we deem as an essential part of our corporate identity, that we are a people built on truth, compelled to praise God for all that he is. And so when we gather on the Lord's day, we do so to praise him. As we seek to put down roots in this community, that will continue to be a priority. That we seek, certainly that we seek to provide a space for our present congregation, but one that has in mind the future so that people can be brought from this community together that they might be able to corporately praise the Lord. Worship is one of the greatest privileges this side of heaven that we have. It's a community that is devoted in worship. But number five, it's a community that's attractive to outsiders. Notice in verse 47, they're attending the temple together day by day, praising God and having favor with all the people. Whenever there is gospel centrality and whenever there is a gospel community, there will be gospel impact. Whenever we live out the life that God has called us to be, the life that God has called us to as his people, in some strange way, it will be attractive. Too often, the church, generally speaking, not every church, but sometimes we see the church strive to be relevant and attractive to the world by downplaying the truth, by ignoring biblical commands, by seeking to be and to look too much like the culture. But friends, listen, we see it here, it's in the text. Whenever we seek to live out our calling as God's people faithfully, built upon the scriptures, called together by the gospel, praying and worshiping, there's something distinct about that, especially when you've got groups of people coming together like this that have no reason to be together otherwise. There's something distinct and special about that that in some ways is attractive to those watching. Now, that doesn't mean that every single person in the world is going to be drawn to that. 
But what we see here in the text is that whenever this church was striving to be faithful to what God had called them to be, they had an impact on those around them. They had favor. They had favor with all the people. There's something contagious and desirable about a people who have been gathered from different backgrounds who are committed to the same truth, gathering regularly in fellowship and worship and sharing life together, etc. How we live together as God's people will sometimes push against the culture, but there will be many who are drawn to this kind of community. So it's a good question to ask. Are, are we as a church having favor with the community? We pray for this, don't we? We pray that God would give us favor with our neighbors, our favor with our coworkers, that God would give us favor with, with the community and that we would not alter what we believe in order to try to find that favor, but as we believe the truth and practice the truth, that we pray that God would give us favor with them so that they too can be changed by this truth. Church, are we having favor with the community? Not because we look more like the community, but because we reflect something far different and better. Redeeming Grace Baptist Church should be a community that seeks to have favor with those around us. Unapologetic for the gospel, unapologetic for the truth. Some, I think some churches just try to be a pain in the community side. I think sometimes they, they just try to do anything they can to offend everybody. And brothers and sisters, we know the gospel will be offensive. We know that truth will not be cared for in this world. That doesn't mean you and I need to be equally offensive in how we relate to people. No, we want to be a people who are faithful to the Lord, faithful to each other. And as we're doing that, we understand how that would be attractive to the community around us. People ought to be saying, there's something different about that church. They annoy me maybe? Or I don't know, maybe they don't. There's just something different about those people. What, what's going on there? They're so different than everything else I experience. This world gives you so many reasons to be divided. Just pick one. Just go home and watch the news, whatever you, news you like to watch. You'll find plenty to be divided over today. But what this world needs is a true display of gospel unity, a true display of gospel community where even in our differences and even when we are disagreeing over tertiary matters and maybe this and that, but committed, radically committed to the gospel, radically committed to the truth of God's inspired and errant word, They see something different. And we have favor and impact, which leads me to number six, the final point, a community growing in number. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The result here, we're told, is that the Lord added to their number. As these believers gathered in gospel unity, built their lives on the truth, enjoyed community and fellowship, joyfully praising God, they couldn't help but make this good news known so that the Lord added to their number. Listen, healthy churches, churches that are built on gospel centrality, churches that exhibit gospel community are normally growing churches. You can, you can, you can point out all kinds of Maybe exceptions to that, numerically speaking, where this church is just faithful, but they're not growing numerically. Certainly, I'm not saying this is automatic. 
We're not guaranteed a quota. But it does mean that churches who seek to live in faithfulness to the truth in genuine community are more likely to see growth than those who don't. You just look at the mainline congregations today that have denied the truth and they're plummeting. Church membership in the United States of America is on the decline rapidly. And in many of those cases, it is churches that are not committed to the truth of God's word. They're not committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we strive to be a healthy congregation, we ought to be a church that is positioned to expect growth. Again, that's part of what we're planning for through putting down roots and our future. As we think about putting down roots, as we think about a future facility, yes, virtually every ministry in our church today will benefit from that facility, but it will also be a facility that prepares us for future growth. So when Christians move here, as many of you have done, Christians who want to grow in the gospel and are serious about the gospel, that want to grow in fellowship, that want to place and be a part of a community that prioritizes the truth, that gathers in joyful God-centered worship and prayer and fellowship, they'll be looking for churches like ours, as many of you can give testimony to. But we also have a calling and the joyful privilege of proclaiming this good news to the people who are already here. Many of which, most of which are not following Jesus. Listen, there are not enough churches in this community alone to fill, to, 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 to handle an ingathering of large numbers of people who be, there's not enough Bible-centered, gospel-proclaiming churches to hold them all. And so what we wanna do is we just wanna try to, to build a, a facility where we can grow a little more and then we'll plant and see multiplication continue to take place. We have a responsibility to steward the gospel to this community expecting as we proclaim the gospel to lost people that God will add to our number. How, when, how many, I don't know. God's sovereign, not me. But it's God who adds to the number and he does it through the preaching of God's word and through the preaching of the gospel and the proclaiming of the gospel. And as we're called to live out these, these truths of gospel centrality and gospel community, we're gonna take the gospel to the community. We're gonna expect to see God Bless that in some way, it's his calling, of course. But we have to anticipate that. We should pray for and plan for future growth. And that's what we're doing. Because we know that looking back at the early church even, we see the example of this church that was honoring the Lord through their obedience and faithfulness and he added to their number, those who were being saved. It was recently reading a blog by Tom Rayner on trends of church closures since the pandemic began. And in that article, Rayner estimated, pandemic aside, typically there are somewhere around 8,000 churches in the United States that close each year, in, just for a variety of different reasons. So on average, 8,000 churches closing. But coming out of 2020 into the rest of 2021, some are estimating that number because of this pandemic to double from 8,000 to some 16,000 or even more churches closing. 
I read that and I read how hard it must be to see so many of these churches being uprooted and closing. But at the same time, I'm thankful that Redeeming Grace Baptist Church is not among them. As so many are being uprooted, we are seeking to put down roots because God is at work. We have a gospel to proclaim. We have a community to build. We have work to be done. And even through a pandemic, you've demonstrated a resolve to carry forth this mission. You've continued in generosity, last year being our best giving year ever, ever. I I go to pastor's meetings and I feel bad sometimes because I don't have a sad story of how we're having to cut this or cut that. Our people are giving and it seems like the impact's certainly here for a variety of different reasons aren't as big and drastic as in other locations. And that's part of God's providence. We're thankful for that. But you continued to be faithful. You've continued in generosity. You've continued in your resolve to keep to the work. Lord willing, this summer, we will be seeing some major things begin to unfold over there on the hill. That'll be exciting. And over this next year, we are hopeful, sometime into the next year, next calendar year, that we'll see a new facility, Lord willing, for our church, our ministries, a base of operations, a launching point from which to go into the world. But brothers and sisters, let's not forget what kind of roots we plant matters more than a structure in what we build. Gospel centrality, gospel community, gospel growth must be what we are about. These are the kinds of roots we are putting down in this community because it's the only hope. It's the only hope for this community. They must be roots that are built on the truth, cultivated in fellowship, strengthened in prayer, built up through worship, expanding out in the community, and roots that continue to grow deep so that Redeeming Grace Baptist Church grows all the more to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for just giving us a snapshot reminder of what we're to be about, what we're to look like, what your church is. Father, we know that there are so many other passages in the scriptures that we could look at to have more of an understanding of how these things shape out and flesh itself out, Lord, but we're thankful, Lord, for this, this look. And Lord, as we think about our future, as we think about the work that's ahead of us in constructing a facility, Lord, help us not get distracted. Help us to remain faithful to these biblical roots that you call us to, that are shaped by truth and lived out in community together in these ways so that we remain faithful to you and glorify you in every step of the way.
Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for reminding us of these things today. Help us to live out what you've called us to be and do. Lord, help us to never forsake the truth, to always be built up on it, to never abandon it. Lord, help us to invest in each other's lives. Lord, not to see this as a place to come to on Sundays, but these are a people to whom we belong to for our mutual edification and eternal joy. We would be a people radically committed to prayer and worship, people who have favor with our community. God, give us favor with our community that we may see lives transformed and that you may add to our number those who are being saved. So God, we ask for your help as we commit to persevering in these things. We ask for your wisdom and your strength. You would help us to remain faithful, remain generous, and to give you praise every step of the way. Father, we ask that you would root these truths in our hearts today. And you help us to respond in faithful obedience to you for your praise and glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.